Hello and welcome everyone. I'm Bex. I'm Ryan. And this is Spirits and Demons. And today's episode is going to be a Ryan-centric one. So be kind to her because she's a little nervous. I am nervous for multitude of reasons. Probably can see by the title of this episode, we are covering Ed Gein today. It's nerve-wracking. But before we get super started with that, we do want to say we're probably going to make some commentary of how this guy had a very unfortunate upbringing. He had a very unfortunate life. It's hard not to feel bad for him. However, that does not excuse his actions and what he did. It's like sympathetic to the situation of what led up to it, but it's not an excuse. What he did was horrible. We aren't condoning it. But it's hard to separate yourself from this person is just truly evil, like a Ted Bundy character, from someone who never had a chance and had an unfortunate upbringing. So it's walking a fine line there, but we don't condone this. What he did was very, very wrong. And if it makes anybody feel better, Ed Gein was a child at some point. And we'll touch on it some more later. He was also referred, even at 51 years old, as very immature. So if anything, feel sorry for the child and that aspect of it. But as already said, it does not excuse his actions. There is uh, also a lot of misconception as well with Ed Gein, and we're kind of gonna touch on a little bit of that. <laughs> Her notes are 10 pages long, guys. My notes weren't even 10 pages long for the Thanksgiving episode, all right? And she calls this the spark notes. Yes, this is the very basic outline of his life and the crimes that committed. I did do most of my research with the book from Harold Scherer. We're going to share a link for it and put it in show notes and everything like that. It's called Deviance. It's a great book. Go read it. It's fantastic. There's so much information in there. And of course, you know, we're going to take a little bit of a grain of salt because obviously this is the author's viewpoint it is a biography but there still can be a little bit of bias but i felt like this book was really good it covered him really well it's less than 300 pages long but you get a lot of information thrown at your face very quickly to get an idea of ed gein we need to start with his parents his parents were augusta and george gein George Gein was born in 1876. He was orphaned at a young age of three years old. His parents and an older sister went out on, I believe it was a wagon, and they never returned. This was significant to George. It definitely played a part as something that was traumatic for him, even though he was so young. Growing up as an orphan, I can't imagine myself but he was growing up in the late 1800s as an orphan imagine the 
like orphanages back then were shit. He was an alcoholic later in life. He married Augusta Skeen, and we're going to get to her in a second. But you can kind of get where his aptitude was from how she was as a person and what he was willing to put with her because she was a lot understatement of the century yeah i mean truly george had a lot of trauma he had a lot of underlying issues that he never really talked about because those sorts of things were never touched on anyway even later with ed gein himself being treated mental health was not a forefront at the time especially things like ptsd and things like that and as we know these days ptsd doesn't just come from soldiers and things like that it comes from traumatic instances in life so we're gonna move on from george Gein, which i feel like is very short but there's not a whole lot of information on him so we're gonna move on to augustus Gein. she was raised lutheran and like her own sons henry and Ed Gein, her brothers never married due to this religious upbringing. Uh, she was born in 1878. Religion heavily dominated her life, which is also an understatement. She basically got married because she thought it was the right thing to do as a religious woman. She is said in the book to definitely be her father's daughter generational trauma basically is what it is mm-hmm. and it's hard because she as we said before she is not very kind herself she learned these ways from her father and that is upsetting in so many ways as well as it's potentially toned down just because she is a woman herself as I just mentioned Ed did have an older brother, Henry. He was born in 1901. Augusta basically... Their son is never mentioned. Mm-hmm. Ever. It's, it's ironic in some forms because I don't have a whole lot of information on Augusta Gein that doesn't pertain to Ed. But it suggested that she chose to become a mother and that's the only reason she had sex and to be like i i need to have sex to have a child and he didn't live up to her expectation and he was never close to her she was never close to him she goes as far as to say she was extremely emotionally and psychology psychology psychologically abusive to them even outside of the isolation and keeping them away from other people because she felt like other people around them were going to bring sin on to her children not a religious person so I can't like comment on how that works or anything I was raised Catholic so I say fuck that shit sorry mom and dad not sorry. Anyway, this was like it, extreme, extreme control over everything in the early 1900s, which, yeah, wives were sometimes given 
opportunity to own things like that, but never to this magnitude where they own absolutely everything. Yeah, no, that is unheard of. And the farm that they lived on, they had livestock and things like that. I believe they grew potatoes. I could be wrong about that. I mean, this was before even women had the right to vote. She basically took over everything because she was upset with George because at this point they have their two children, but he's drinking steadily more and more and more and more. Like he's trying to self-medicate something away. We don't know what that is exactly just because of the times he did pass away in 1940. Unknown what was causing this extreme alcoholism, but he, he was a drunk to the point where later in life, he has a bit of guilt for going to a tavern and having a beer. Augusta and George did not hide their animosity towards one another for their own flaws. So Henry and Ed could see negatives between them going on. I find it interesting that like extremely religious people like this are always like anti-alcohol. When Jesus's first freaking miracle was turning water to wine. To make this tale a little bit sadder in terms of George Keen and their kids, George, when he did get drunk, he was an abusive drunk to both Augusta and his children. So Henry and Ed are not only having emotional and psychological abuse, they're also having physical abuse as well. Absolutely wonderful. feel bad for them they they never had a chance they never had a chance at something normal empathy empathy is important yes because yeah they they didn't stand a chance in this household no but i mean his older brother did grow up to not kill people so right and unfortunately (laughs) with henry we don't have a lot of information on him of course, as I've already mentioned, Ed was severely mentally ill. Okay. Or have I mentioned that? He was severely mentally ill, if I haven't. You've touched on it. <laughs> touched on it. There's uh, so many things coming on to play for Ed. Yeah, Henry never killed anyone or anything like that. But part of it is, did he never have the chance to do that? Or did he just never, never, never want to do that? We, unfortunately, will never know. But the fact of the matter is, he didn't. He didn't. And his brother did. (laughs) Right. Which we're gonna get more into that. Now, in Plainfield, Henry and Ed were, they were looked at as a little bit odd. Mother was disliked. Why? Why ever would that be? She refused to go to church because they did not have a Lutheran branch in Plainfield. So she refused to go to church. And so since they didn't have a Lutheran church, she didn't want to go to church. And she made her opinions about that very public. Aren't there pictures of Ed Gein and his mother in church, though? Not that I know of. Maybe they're somewhere else. I thought it was a church. Misconception about if 
Ed was homeschooled or if he went to public school. He did go to public school, as public as you can get in those days. He had 12 classmates. He was not a very notable student, but he was an extremely good reader. And we're going to touch on that even more later. Ooh. And But he was considered to be of average intelligence from his schooling. Now, in 1940, George Gein did pass away from a heart attack. Induced by alcohol. Uh, Yes, induced by (laughs) alcoholism. We all know what happened in the 1940s, right? We all went to school. Did we? I don't think I know what happened. Okay, let me tell you. So in 1941, of course, the United States enters World War II. So there is that was a 1941. 41? I thought it was 42. Why did I think it was 42? Because it was in December of 1941. Oh, that's Okay. That makes sense. That's yeah. Right. In 1942, Ed Gein does have to report for a physical exam for the Army. Henry Gein does not because at this point he is too old to join the Army. Ed Gein is rejected because he has a growth on his eyelid that makes his eyelid droop that limits his vision. And that was enough at this point in time to keep him from the armed forces. And that is why he was not drafted. Flat feet could keep you from the army at that point. Yeah, this is true. So, I mean, it doesn't take like, a lot. In my dad was, yeah, my dad was declined from the draft because he broke his arm when he was a child. Like, <laughs> yeah. If you're not like the most physically fit person, they're not going to accept you. Yeah. Sorry, Steve Rogers. <laughs> anyway, in 1944, a fire broke out on the Green property, which Henry and Ed both went to put out. Because, as stated before, they did have livestock and some mm. veg- vegetables, most probably potatoes, which weren't like eating potatoes, they were used for different purposes. So they what went to other go- purposes. Do you use potatoes for other than eating and making vodka? In the act of putting the fire out on their property. Now, according to Ed, Ed says that they were separated, and once he lost his brother and could not find him, he went to get to the authorities to help search for his brother, being worried about him. However, once he had the authorities, he did lead them straight to his brother's body which was not touched by fire. It have some soot on it, but as we just stated, they were trying to put out a fire. Autopsy did reveal that there was bruising on the back of his head, but the cause of death was asphyxiation and ruled as accidental. However, How do you once- accidentally suffocate someone? They were saying he asphyxiated affix- on the smoke. In 1900s. Well, Henry's death, once the rest of Ed's crimes came into light, Henry's death... A little suspicious. It does seem a little suspicious. Some people compare it to the Cain and Abel thing. Yeah, it can't be 
said for sure if he murdered his brother or not. We can say that Henry did raise concerns to Ed about his relationship with his mother. He was concerned that they were getting far too close. There are some sources that say that Henry Gein did start seeing a woman in town that did have already have children, which would have definitely oh, irked his mother. Off. Yes. I didn't find anything like that reading this book. Again, I'm just reading the book that I have. I have a lot of sources to back up if Henry was seeing someone or if he was just concerned about his brother being so obsessed with his mother. Because even at this point, Ed is extremely, extremely, extremely codependent on his mother. Mm, never a good thing. As As we already said, Augusta put them under extreme isolation, and Ed considered Augusta to be his only friend and his true love. What we're coming up to, in which Augusta suffers a stroke and becomes bedridden, a little upsetting because then Ed starts taking care of her, and he he does this, and he keeps everything up to her standard while she is alive and he's taking care of her and he's also doing ob jobs just to keep money coming in for them as well and he's doing all this in the hope that she is proud of him which is something that is also going to come back later also Ed Gein is 100% who Norman Bates is based off of. Yes. Uh, if that gonna... tells you anything about the relationship with his mother. Yes. Though <laughs> uh, I do want to point out at this point, their relationship, as far as I can see, and as far as how Augusta was described yeah. and laid out, their relationship was never sexual or anything like that. Yeah, no sexual abuse, just a lot of other types of abuse and a lot of disgusting creepiness. Yes. And codependency and nastiness and just horrible. Um, she did begin to recover from this stroke under Ed's care, and he did try to reach out to help her start walking when she was allowed to start walking, but she pushed him away. Let me guess. Religious reasons. She just didn't want his help. Oh, okay. Fair enough. So, as fair as you can be when you're losing your child. Winter of 1945, Augusta Gein did suffer another stroke that proved to be fatal. There is a story that I'm not going to go into detail in. But if you're interested in this, you are free to look it up yourself. But I'm going to keep it out of this episode just because it can be very upsetting and very triggering. And an already triggering episode. But this, Bex might add it onto our blog post and you can see it there if you want to. But I'm not yeah. going to see it. I will add it to the blog post. I'll, I'll post a trigger warning. Basically, it is animal trigger. So in in the event with the animal, they they had gone to a neighbor to buy some hay for their livestock that they still had. And when they were doing that, yes. So the guy is on the front porch doing okay. awful to, to animal. Now I am following. 
the woman comes out. The woman being there upsets Augusta. Got it. Now okay. I'm following now. <laughs> Ed blames this incident on what kills his mother. Now we all know that's not how strokes work. <laughs> and we'll get more into Ed's psyche a little bit later. But this not the this woman this woman coming out to yell at the neighbor and her not being married, he continuously blames this incident on what kills his mother. But this is because of what Augusta has hammered into his head at this point. Mm -hmm. Yeah. November 29th, 1945, Augusta Gein does pass away from her stroke. And this leaves Ed completely alone. His father is gone, his brother is gone, and now his mother is gone. It's important to say that he has no relationships outside of those three people. Uh He has acquaintances, was a small town, so people sort of know each other, they know of that person. But they gossip about that person. Right, they gossip about that person, but they don't have like an intimate relationship with him. They let him do odd jobs. Some closer neighbors allow him to babysit their kids. Bad idea. (laughs) He's very childlike. He's very childlike, which also means he's not very responsible. So if something were to happen. Right, right. Which, this is the 1950s. They're not thinking like that. But still, they should have. They should have, but they didn't. And I also want to point out that they are still in the same house that they bought, that Augusta bought in Plainfield in 1913. It's important to say this because that house in 1945, that house did not have running water or electricity in it. And it remains that way. House basically <laughs> remains the same from when they bought it in 1913 as it does in 1945 and in 1957. This is did important. They still don't have running water in 1957. Yes, in that house? He, he <gasps> did not have running water, or and he did not have electricity. Okay, even Lizzie Borden had electricity, right? And he, in the 1950s, he would go to neighbors' houses and watch TV for reference like the community is growing around him and getting more technology but he's staying in this one place and he's isolated and he's alone (sighs) but he has no running water and no electricity this is where we have to say again so hard to not feel bad for this guy never stood a chance but it doesn't excuse what he did. It doesn't. Because this this is a human being that did not have to be this way. Yeah. If someone would have just intervened, came into the picture, tried to help. Right. And it's upsetting once you learn when we go in more and later about his psyche and everything. And I'm just going to tell you the notes on how they were put in the book that I read, because I'm not a psychologist or a psychiatrist or a therapist. 
But I feel like that's important because it was done after he was caught. Like within two months of when he was caught. Once his mother did pass away, he did board up his mother's bedroom and all her preferred rooms. Like, was a, like, this house was massive. I'm pretty sure we'll have a picture on our blog. <laughs> he, Ed himself, in 1957, when he was captured, only had four rooms to himself. And this house is massive. He had the kitchen, his own bedroom, a summer kitchen, and something else. I think it was an outhouse that he kept just to himself. Everything else he boarded up. Hmm. And as soon as 1952, the community is referring to his house as the haunted house of the neighborhood. He still lived there. He's still living there. At this point, the house is run down. Yeah. Ed has sold a lot of the property just because so he, he couldn't afford to keep it up. He couldn't afford to keep it up. And it's just him now. He doesn't need to do extra things for his mother and meet her expectations at this point. The house I'm sorry, did you just hear shambles. me hit my head? No, I didn't. I'm sorry. Okay, good. Because <laughs> I totally just, like, fell and hit my head. Um, <laughs> we can keep that in the episode, because that'll be fun. Sure. Um, so yes, the house is, house is falling to shambles at this point. He yes. is not keeping up with it. There's rusted tools in the yard. The first couple of years after his mother passed away, he did allow some of the neighborhood kids to like come play cards with him or something like that. And even when he was letting them come in, the house was a mess. He did not keep anything clean. He was not cleanly at all. It was the most hoarder depressive house that you can imagine. It was nasty. And there yes. will be a picture on our blog. Yes, several pictures for a comparison to his mother's rooms that he boarded up. Yeah. We said before, Ed Gein was an avid reader. He loved to read. And when his mother gone, he didn't feel the need to hide his more macabre interest. He begins to obsessively read true crime magazines and about Nazi war crimes. As well, two of his favorites were Irma Grease and Isla Coach, who uh, I think I said her name correctly. Sure. I don't know. I, I don't, don't know. speak German. <laughs> were Nazis, and they did commit war crimes. In wait, Nazis committed war crimes? No, just these two. <laughs> it had a deep deep interest in macabre things we're talking true crime nazi war crimes cannibalism adventure novels with horror-esque themes and if he didn't find what he wanted to read in magazine articles or things like that, he would read the newspaper articles about accidents, most notably obituaries. 
Yep. So I did the most basicest of research. I am shooketh right now because I did not know that. Mm-hmm. That's creepy. That's weird. Yes. Why, Ed? He, Why? At this point, he he's beginning to withdraw more and more and more into fantasy life because he has nothing else. He has no one. And that's all he has and that's all he knows is his fantasy and what's going on in his brain. Which is never healthy for anyone. Especially someone mentally ill. Now we're going to cover some disappearances that they tried to tie into to Ed Gein. And this is important because we're about to get to his murders. Now, for these, there was never any proof of him being officially tied to them. But their names are tied to him because they did try to pin these on him. Because he dug up graves. and He was a grave robber. He was. And the authorities did not want to acknowledge that. They were more willing to say this is a serial murderer. So they were trying to bring these... They were trying to rectify it in their own brains. Yes, because you you never want to like think someone's going to dig up your loved one. Though I do because I researched your crime too much. And I'm like, just make me into a tree. <laughs> no one's going to dig up a tree. <laughs> I will stand by this. If I die before Zach Bagans does, I want him to investigate my death, and I want to screw with him as a ghost. (laughs) (laughs) One of the disappearances is of Georgia Weckler. She disappeared May 1st, 1947. She was eight years old at the time of her disappearance. They were never able to tie her disappearance to Ed. Another one of the disappearances is Evelyn Hartley. She disappeared on October 24th, 1953 from La Crosse, Wisconsin, which was where Ed was born. However, he was, they were unable to tie in any evidence that her disappearance was related to him at all. Another disappearance they tried to tie into him was Ray Burgess and Victor Travis. Both disappeared with their dog on November in November of oh. 1952. Not the dog. Their car and their bodies and their dog have never been found. What? Nothing ties Ed into their disappearance at all. Now, for these two in particular, they did disappear while hunting, and Ed okay. tended to choose women. I say tended to. No, he did choose women. Only women. Yeah, only women. It's true. And middle-aged women, because he wanted them to, in ways, resemble his mother. Oh, and the only exception the only exception potentially is his brother which we don't even know if he killed his own brother but we can wildly speculate 
Yes, we can. And another Man, disappearance, which is tied into Ed Gein, is the disappearance of Mary Hogan, December 8th, 1954. She disappeared from the tavern she owned. Now, Mary Hogan's disappearance was originally unsolved to the point where they even put a two-year memorial piece in the local newspaper about her disappearance because they could not find her. Interesting oh. note, when asked about Mary Hogan, Ed would always say, she's at the farm right now. I went and got her in my pickup truck and took her home. Yep. This was considered odd by Ed, but the community but felt like... it was also oh, odd. So. It was also odd, and the community just felt like he was a nut. He's out of his mind. They quickly changed their tune later, by the way. Yeah, don't, if someone tells you that they killed a person, maybe take that seriously and call the authorities. <sighs> I mean, I guess he didn't exactly say that he killed someone. No, and like... He stood by that phrase his entire life. She's not he missing. Did. She's at the farm. Yep, he did. I do also want to say that some of the community around Ed did speculate that he had a crush on her, and that's why they would ask about her, because they would tease him and be like, well, if you had just asked her out, she wouldn't be gone right now. And that's how he would respond. She's at the farm right now. I went and got her in my pickup truck and took her home. Ugh. Which somehow makes it worse. It really, really does. Oh. Now, we're going to come to November 16th, 1957. This is the day that Bernice Warden disappeared from her general goods store in Plainfield. She was reported missing by her son, who after a day of hunting, because this was the first day of deer season, after a day of hunting, he came to the business across the street who were weighing the deer. He, he was talking to the business owner because the business was weighing the deer that were caught and they were exchanging some deer hunter banter. And the... The owner of the business said to Bernie's warden's son, hey, your mom closed up for the day. I haven't seen her for a while. And this was odd for him because he knew his mother had planned to have the store open all day, even though it was the first day of deer hunting season. So he goes back to the store, his mother's store, finds the register gone and a receipt for antifreeze for one Ed Gein. And he immediately reports her missing and should. tells the authorities he has her. Ed Gein has her. And Ed Gein is immediately arrested. As he rightfully should have been. Right. And this is where the sympathy and the empathy stop. Right. And I am going to... Give you guys some details, but I'm not going to go into a whole lot of details. You can find these details very easily on your own. And I'll put them on the blog for anyone yeah. who is morbidly curious. Right. 
Bernie's warden's body was found in Edgine's summer kitchen. She was hanging by her ankles, and she was dressed out like a deer. Now, interesting to note, Edgine himself said that he did not like blood. And that he never went deer hunting himself. I thought he did. I thought he was an avid hunter. No. No? Okay. Uh, He did hunt occasional squirrel and rabbit, but never deer. Oh. Then how do you know how to... Because... Oh, because he watched his mother do it. Yes, he watched his parents do it while they were in lacrosse when he was young. They watched them dress out a pig. That's right. I forgot about that. That's that's going in the blog, guys. That is a story. Yep. Oh, story. Okay, moving on. Um, it is worth noting that she was her body was headless when she was found. <laughs> now, this is 1957. This house does not have electricity or running water, as earlier mentioned. So these police officers have flashlights looking at this. Oh, that's a horrifying scene to be seen by flashlight. I mean, it's horrifying to be seen, period. But by flashlight? And uh, you will see on our blog the picture for this kitchen as well. Bernie's warden's body is found. I am not going to give you a list of everything else that was found in this house. That is something that is easily found. Bex might put it on the blog. She's welcome to. It's not hard to find what was in his house. And it's horrifying. And also his house looked like a hoarder's house. It did. And I, I I can't even imagine the smell or anything. Because he... There were nine bodies in total in his house. Police were more willing to say he killed all nine rather than yes. he dug up seven. He dug up nine. Of... But he killed two. Mm-hmm. Oh, so two were already missing. From the house. No, he dug up nine bodies. Two murdered nine bodies. God. That's just gross. Guys, don't dig up bodies. Unless you're an archaeologist, and even then that's creepy. Two murdered nine bodies. Okay, so he dug up nine bodies that were in the house, and then the clerk was hanging by her ankles. Yes. Oh. Right. One one notable thing that I came across in my research is that the investigators felt like they had to be careful when questioning Ed with they didn't there the whole thing about suggestion and leading and mm-hmm. things 
they found out very quickly that if he knew that they wanted him to say yes to something, he just would. Yeah. They asked him at one point, did you, did you put the body parts over your penis? And he's like, yes. <gasps> now, they meant it in a sexual way. Ed, yes, he did do that, but he did that because he felt gross as a man and wanted to temporarily live as a woman. Which some people toss up to his oh. psychosis. It's hard to say. Yeah. And have we mentioned the suit that was found? That's in the list of things. Okay. And that is also why he had the suit is that he wanted to live. He wanted as to be a woman. woman. Because men were dirty and horrible yeah. and evil. Yep. <sighs> I'm gonna talk about his psychosis. Not psychosis, but his psyche more soon. But they found it extremely difficult to question him. This is the 1950s. They just want... They're not used to the guy being like, yeah, sure, I did, blah, 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 so easily. Yeah. And they're also <laughs> not used to dealing with something like this either. No. Not Cause... most people want to go, yes, I put parts of a dead person on my parts. I don't know if that made any sense, but I didn't want to say I, it how I originally said it. <laughs> Not many people would admit to necrophilia. No. And Ed was a necrophile. That is fact. But Hi. not in he, not in that he had sex with dead bodies. Yeah. He was fascinated by death. Mm-hmm. But he wasn't sexually aroused by death. Yes. Touchy subject. Yes, very touchy. Rather, relatively quickly, Ed does admit, no, there's only two. The others came from robbing graves. And people, as we already said, did not want to believe this. Not just nope. the authorities. Everyone did not want to believe this. Ed Gein, at the time of his arrest, he was five feet tall and 140 pounds. And they were like, he's tiny. There's no way that he dug six feet deep into the ground to get these bodies out. And also, apparently, it is more plausible to say, oh, my God, we have a serial killer on our hands than, oh, my God, someone just dug up the dead bodies. Yeah. <laughs> Like, okay, so you want more dead bodies rather than just desecration of dead bodies. Neither is good. Yeah. <laughs> but I think one might outweigh the other. Maybe. I don't know. Personally, well, you're... this is my... This is my I hate religion rant about bodies. You're dead, you're dead. 
Yeah. Your body doesn't care. It's just food for the worms. So I'm like, yay. Do whatever to my body. I'll probably donate my I'll probably donate my body to science or like a body farm when I die so that you can experiment on it. So <laughs> I personally think desecration of dead bodies is a lesser crime than murdering someone. Right. Because yeah. at least the person's already dead. They're not feeling it. They're just it's right. But moving on. That's desecration. Desecration of graves is more like a ref, more of a crime a, against the relatives than against yeah. the person. Exactly. Yeah. So it's more victim. Yeah. Impact. But I do want to say to this point, at this point in 1957, most coffins were kept in. Cur- containers which were either wooden or concrete and these containers were only buried about two feet into the ground really really and in november when they went to double check the list of graves that ed gave them to point out which ones he did dig up in november in wisconsin digging up two graves it took him about two and a half hours to do well that's not bad this is important because ed it would have taken him lesser time because Because he wasn't doing it in winter he wasn't doing it in winter and he was doing it when they were freshly dug oh that'll make a difference too because compact dirt yeah (sighs) yeah guys you watch movies or like supernatural where they dig a six foot six foot deep and like seven foot long three foot wide hole in less than one night with just a shovel that's bullshit no no have you ever tried to dig a hole in a garden (laughs) lord (laughs) I couldn't be a serial killer because I couldn't bury the dead bodies because I'd be like, fuck this, and throw in the... Right. <laughs> Just walking away. It was, uh-huh. it was for, for the community and the authorities, they kept going, he could not have dig, dug six feet into the ground for these bodies, but he didn't he have didn't to. He didn't need to. No. And I do want to cover two of the the bodies that were dug up just two of them i i believe that these will sum up a little bit of what he would do eleanor adams she passed away august 26 1951 her body was completely removed from the coffin and a crowbar was left in its place that's what the detectives found when they exhumed her grave. A crowbar? They called it a pinch bar, but I'm assuming it's about the same thing. Mabel Everson passed away April 15th, 1951. They dug the two feet, and then they found pieces of bones, a jaw, a section of a skull, a part of a leg, and several other smaller pieces, about 15 inches below her grave, her dental plates, 
some clothing with the tag still attached and her wedding ring were also left behind. This is because Ed would sometimes come back and leave the bodies like hints of remorse a little bit where he would come back and put them back in. Again, these things were found about 15 inches below the surface of her grave. After Ed's arrest and he did confess he this is hard to say just because like I said we're going to talk about it we're going to talk about his psychology soon his lawyers were pleading guilty but or not guilty by reason of insanity it difficult these days because a lot of the times that's sort of a sham at least in now times mm-hmm. and like I said we are going to discuss his psychology but when this was revealed to the community they were angry they felt like Ed was going to get away with murder and desecration of their loved ones due to this no one wants that to happen right and i do want to say here that he did spend the rest of his life in a mental health state institution so he never walked as a free man again but that was a moot point to the community because they did not want him to plead not guilty by reason of insanity because that's like copping out or not copping out but that's like getting away with well getting away with murder like we said yeah but I also feel like since he since he was locked away for the rest of his life it doesn't quite feel the same as if he had gotten away with murder for murder Mm -hmm. is it like what they wanted no because some people suggested lynching him, things like that. And outrage like that is always a thing with cases like this. Like this, I say there really hasn't been a case <laughs> like this since Jeffrey Dahmer. Oh. And even Jeffrey didn't take it this far. No, but he took a different path. He took a different path. We'll cover him one day. Sorry, can't wait. I he fascinates me, like I said, on a psychological level. But Mm -hmm. oh, I hate reading about him. (laughs) Okay, so Ed was during his arraignment in November. This all happened very, very quickly once he was arrested. Much quicker than what it would happen now. Yeah, in November of um, 1957. Remember, she disappeared November 16th, 1957. By the end of November, he's being placed in an institution to see if he's actually insane. Now, they give him several tests. They find that his 
verbal IQ is 106. His performance IQ is 89, and his full-scale IQ is 99. Cool. I am not sure the breakdown of this, but it was also said that all the tests reflected that he was better than average intelligence, but functioning at an inefficient level. What did you say? 90-something? 99. Average intelligence. 85 Mm -hmm. to 114 IQ is average intelligence. Yes, but he was functioning at an at an inefficient level. Because remember, he was a good reader. But mentally, he was not at... How old was he at this point? He was he was 51. 51, yeah. Mentally, he is not 51, guys. Yeah. He is very emotionally and mentally stunted, which we're mm-hmm. about to get into. The head psychiatrist quoted that these things were not that of a well person but one with an insufficient ego immaturity the conflict concerning identification and possibly the presence of illogical thought process some other things that they found during their test was a feminine identification bizarre religious beliefs which we've already touched on a tendency to project blame of evil on someone other than themselves, a striking immature level of sexual sexuality characterized by strong feelings of guilt. All in all, they found he was a very suggestible person who appears emotionally dull. Beneath that lies aggressiveness that may be expressed by inappropriate reactions that are followed by remorse and mild-manneredness. He is an immature person who withdraws and finds forming relationships with others difficult. He has a rather rigid moral concept, which he expects others to follow. He is suspicious of others and tends to project blame for his own inadequacies onto others. His fantasy life is immature in nature. Possibly he pictures himself as a much more adequate and bigger man than he is. Again, he was five feet tall. Sexually, he is a conflicted individual and is functioning functioning on an immature level. Guilt feelings are great, and repression is put to use quite frequently in this area. In general, it appears that this is a schizophrenic personality with several neurotic manifestations at this present time. He is confused and has difficulty in looking at this situation realistically. This was given as a summary of his mental state in December of 1957. I believe on December 18th, 1957. Again, Bernice Warden went missing November 16th, 1957. That's what, 10 days? About a month. Okay. Very quick. Yes, very. And as I said before, he never lived lived outside an institution for the rest of his life. He stayed. I believe he moved institutions once. But other than that, he remained in a hospital. And he was always known to have inappropriate reactions to things. Well, I mean... Which, yeah. He killed someone when his mom died. Right. 
all in all, I believe Ed Gein was not a mental healthy person. And this was tenfold when he was by himself. He never again had an issue with violence or anything like that while he was in the institutions. Ed Gein is a, I've said this a million times, but he is a perfect example of how nature and nurture both contribute. Right. Because not only was his mom psycho and his dad had issues, but his environment that he was growing up in, he was socially isolated. He was being taught that who he was was evil and all of this stuff. So it's like he had this already genetic messed upness and then you add on the environment messed upness and you put it together and it created a killer i don't know about you bex but like i when i originally read like their full summary of his mental psyche i was struck by how much they use the word immature i wasn't I guess it's, it's it's sort of easy like go read the book Deviant it's mm-hmm. a really good book and when you're reading the book it's easy to forget how old he is yeah because he you picture when you when when you know of the crimes that happened and you know that he was living with his mother his entire life and mm-hmm. how he acted around humans you really get this mental image of like a teenager almost or like a yeah, preteen. Like the the uh, awkward 14-year-old yeah. boy. Yeah. And that's what you picture. And then it's like, no, 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 no. He was like in his 30s or 40s when this happened. Mm-hmm. And he was 51 when he was arrested. And he was still yeah. like, I just want to please you. I want to give you the answer that will make you happy with me. Yeah. And and trying to, and I think one of the things, I don't know if this was ever confirmed, but there was at least some suspicion that maybe he was doing this, you know, mutilating these dead bodies and creating that suit to please his mother. Because he thought that that was what she would want. No, he, part of the necrophilia, which... Again, go read Deviant. It's a great book. He touches on it. Part of his necrophilia is that he felt like he could bring her back to life because Augusta Gein to Ed Gein was God. God and everything good. Mm. Now, he was aware that she was not always good to him, Mm -hmm. but there is a little bit of a split where he he's viewing his father George Gein in this entirely negative light just to survive he needs to have some positivity there or it's it yeah you he's he, his brain's not going to be able to function his brain's just trying to protect him at this point he's yeah. in survival mode 
all his life, basically. Yeah. And so he views his mother as this all caring, all good, all righteous sort of being as good as a woman could possibly get kind of good to the point where he to the doctors starts basically telling them what he believed his mother would want him to say. Like she's even controlling him from the grave because he's telling them, he's telling them, you know, my mother wouldn't have liked them. I can't be with a woman that isn't close to their mother and all these things he's saying you know women are evil and full of sin and things like that but then he also has this rage against his mother as well because he is unconsciously aware that she too abused him and hurt him Uh and some people speculate that the the murder and the desecration of the graves was to take out his anger on her because with it being these other women it wasn't her but it was enough like her that it satisfied that need and guys don't forget she left him all by himself there's rage in that by itself because she isolated him and then mm-hmm. she left him. Yeah. And logic doesn't always come into play in that, especially talking about Ed Gein. Yeah. There was no logic with that man. No. This episode was a doozy. Yeah. <laughs> this episode. Oh my God. He is a trip. He his is... last words. His last words are. She's not lost. She's at the farm. He's just so weird. He like, he is. He's. I've I've felt conflicted, extremely conflicted, while doing this research because I am a mother. I have three kids. I can't imagine telling my children that they're dirty and they're sinful, and I I just can't. Granted, I'm not a religious person, so I don't think that has much to do with it. People like to weaponize religion, and sometimes not even consciously. And that's exactly what she was doing. She was weaponizing Mm -hmm. her religion against others. And I think a lot of that was... I'm speculating here, but I think a lot of it was hatred of herself. Because she wasn't what would be considered socially acceptable for the time. Like like you said, she was mm-hmm. seemed to be very sexually repulsed and only wanted to have sex to have a child. And that was it. And right. whereas, you know, this was the time where it was finally accepted that, no, married couples can have sex for more than just reproduction um and obviously reproduction takes multiple tries sometimes um so i think she saw herself in this world where other religious people around her were doing these things that 
she herself couldn't feel. And I think she very she very much felt like that was an issue with her. And I think she took that out on everyone else and blamed it on religion. I I I think so as well, especially when I was reading it. You read how she is, you read how hard she was, and then you gotta remember that it as I said when I first introduced her, she was said to be her father's daughter. She basically repeated what her father taught her and her siblings. Yeah. Which it said she had two brothers. It's not sure if she had more sisters. She could have. Maybe. I'm not sure. I'm not going to read into that. But she was a daughter born in the late 1800s. In Midwestern America. Yep. On a farm. Yeah. Wait, was she born on a farm? uh, She was. Let me see. I mean, she ran a farm like she no did. one's business, so I, I just assumed. But you know what they say about assuming things? Yep, she it is not said where she was born. Well, I'm going to assume it was a farm because she ran a farm like... She ran a farm and she ran a business as well. She ran the store they owned back in lacrosse for a very long time yeah even when they moved to plainfield so yeah very strong-willed woman she is you'll see her define or described a lot as domineering which doesn't even sum it up and that is a powerful (laughs) word well, it's better than what you say at the beginning. She's not nice. <laughs> oh, I said. I don't even remember what I said. Uh, but I mean, domineering is a much better word. But it, yeah, it's still like it barely scratches the surface of her because mm-hmm. she was just. Imagine so the most micromanaging manager who is also highly abusive and volatile Mm -hmm. and then multiply that by like a (laughs) hundred. Right. And then you might get Augusta. (laughs) Right. And I do want to like, speaking of Augusta and going this, taking this back to Norman Bates, Norman Bates is said to have like three personalities. As I said before, uh, Ed Gein was officially diagnosed in 1957 at, with schizophrenia. And when they released this information, they simplified it so much that a lot of people believed for a long time that schizophrenia meant multiple personalities and things, which you do see with Norman Bates in that yeah. he has what? I don't remember the names. I don't do Norman Bates I, things. I don't. I know one of his personalities is his mother. Yeah. (laughs) But that's not what... That's not what schizophrenia is. Yeah, that's not what schizophrenia had. He had hallucinations. He had... He he said he heard his mother's voice for years after she passed away. He would say he saw faces and leaves. He... (sighs) He, he was yeah. very ill. 
That does not excuse what he did. No. But he did not have multiple personalities. He was very mentally ill. He might have been transgender. We don't know for sure. Just because did he feel like he wanted to be a woman because he felt that way? Or did he feel that way because his mother made him feel dirty? We'll never know. But, I mean, she also spoke about all of the evils of women around him, too. So, I mean, like, yes. no one was clean. No one was good. And so. I think the only reason why he might have wanted to be a woman is because his mother was one. Yeah. And he very much... He he, he saw her as good After, and everything. Yeah. And After it is... she officially, like, passed away and she was dead and gone he still cared for her body Mm -hmm. for what weeks after her death or something like that like he would brush her hair and shit like that while after she was dead like it's just it's like who does that someone that's alone and someone who's mentally ill and has no one else I believe his mental illness and the reason why he did the things that he did is because he was so isolated. He had no way to break out of his fantasy life at all. He had no way to break out of his dissociation. I I personally dissociate, but like if my one of my kids runs up to me and is like, Mom, I'm like, oh, he didn't have that. He didn't mm-hmm. have anything to break that cycle of fantasy versus reality. So he just, and ultimately that is why he was declared mentally incompetent to stand trial. Yeah. Because he he could not tell right from wrong because he was so far into his fantasy life at that point. Yeah. But we did it, and this might be our longest episode. <laughs> I'm impressed because I really thought our Thanksgiving episode would be longer. Um, as usual, if you have any information that we might have missed or we might have gotten wrong, please let us know. Absolutely. And come hang out with us on our Facebook page. Um, we do have a Tumblr. We've got a blog, Twitter, Instagram, email. Come, just talk to us. Talk to us. Come. Email at us. Uh, tweet at us. Spirits, the letter N, demons for Twitter. Every, everything else, it's spelled out spirits and demons, except there was one that wasn't. Spirits oh. and demons podcast. I think it's buy me a coffee. It's oh. spirits and demons. <laughs> you can buy <laughs> us a coffee, guys. Um, we are caffeine addicts. <laughs> yes. Clearly. <laughs> Uh, but yeah just come talk to us and we want to hear your comments we want to hear your feedback we also want to hear what you want us to do next because while we have a giant list this is for you right and this we're going into December we have some plans but if you want us to do something different let us know yeah, because right now we have plans on doing a lot of different Christmas-themed episodes. Oh, yeah. We're excited. Yeah. So, well, as always, I say as always, like we have a log out, and we don't. 
So um, we do. We'll see you on Tuesday. Yes, we'll see you on Tuesday. And stay safe, guys. And thanks、Bye. for listening. Thanks for listening. Don't. <laughs>